So welcome, this is the Interledger community call. Uh, we have these every two weeks. This is the Wednesday 13th of May call. Uh, thanks for joining. Um, on the agenda today per the, uh, per the forum is a discussion around uh, resilience and packet loss, which we deferred from last call. Um, that was actually proposed by myself, but I see both Kincaid and, and Matt interested in digging into that one today. Uh, I can also give a little report back on progress on the open payments spec updates, um, some discussions that we've had um, among some of the community and, and some changes from the last call that were proposed. So I just see your feedback on those. Uh, and then any other topics, anyone have anything else they wanna raise while we're, while we're building the agenda? Okay, feel free to uh, feel free to you know um, let us know. Post in the chat if you uh, if you have something you want to discuss or just shout out when you have the opportunity. Um, so we'll get straight into it then. Um, maybe th I, this is a kind of an open-ended one. So if if you guys don't mind, I'm going to swap the order of things and just quickly report back on the open payment side. Um, so from my side, I've been um, slowly ticking away at changes there. Um, quite a lot has changed actually now um, in the structure uh, of the documentation in um, not necessarily in the functionality. I think everything works roughly how we had always imagined, um, but it's it's building out and, and, and uh, I think getting quite nicely fleshed out. So if you want to have a look at the latest changes, they're still in a consolidated PR. Uh, thanks, Noah, for your help on, on updating a bunch of those as well. Um, so there's a bunch of commits in there um, as well for Noah and, and, and from Kieran. Uh, if anyone you know wants to help out on that, please let me know. I think I'm, I would say I'm probably about 70 to 80% done, um, kind of working my way through the through the contents on the left, uh, document by document and updating things. Um, the one thing I wanted to draw people's attention to and, and get feedback on, uh, which is different to what we talked about last week, is the way that you um, the way that you access the invoice and mandate APIs from the from the root URL. So, you know, the way we've defined discovery. Uh, for this API is if if you get a payment pointer, so as the open payments client, if you have a payment pointer and you decode it into a URL, that URL represents an account on the uh, on the server. And um, what we had proposed last time was that you would um, perform operations against that URL with different media types to disambiguate the different things you want to do. So. Um, if you want to create an invoice, you would post to that URL with a media type um, indicating that it's an invoice versus a mandate, for example. Um, that was mostly to try and align with the way SPSP works today. So when you do a get against that URL with the media type of um, application slash SPSP for JSON, you get back connection credentials for a stream uh, connection. And that's what's used uh, today for um, web monetization. So we need to be backwards compatible with that, but we don't need that to dictate the pattern for all other APIs. So um, I think a strong case was made for that. Um, and uh, now I'm forgetting 
uh, it wasn't Noah who proposed that. It was, um, it's in the comments there. I think it was it you, Ian. Um, oh no, or, or Neil. Uh, one of the guys from Spring, and I apologize for <laughs> forgetting who proposed that we uh, stick to sort of more traditional rest um, paradigm there. And you know, we've got a base URL, which is the one you resolve from the payment pointer. If you want to create an invoice, why don't you post to that slash invoices? If you want to create a mandate, post to that slash mandates. If you want to get connection credentials, do a get against that slash connections. Um, you know, so we already use slash charges, for example, to create a charge against a, uh, um, against a, uh, a mandate. Uh, and so I've, I've, you know, adjusted the docs to reflect that. And, and thanks again, Noah, for your work on doing that as well. Um, and I've started to try and put in some uh, more diagrams and things that make the relationships between the different resources uh, a little more obvious. So if anyone wants to review that, I know it's quite hard to review um, the markup directly because there's a bunch of like Mermaid JS diagrams and so on in there. It's very easy to run locally if you pull it down, go into the documentation folder and just run yarn start. Um, it'll, it'll spin up a local instance for you that you can browse and, and it will hot reload as well if you want to make some edits and, and submit those as a PR. Um, if you think, you have edits that you want to make into the current pull request, the, the sort of the update that's going to go in, you know, once everyone's reviewed it, um, feel free to submit a PR against that branch uh, rather than against master. Um, so yeah, that's, that's all the status of that. Uh, any thoughts, questions on that? Uh, so before I move on, I just want to yeah apologize for that taking longer than I expected. I've been sort of doing maybe one or two pages a day and then going back and redoing stuff as I as I think about it and and, and reconsider implications across different parts of the documentation. So it's definitely taking me longer than I expected, um, but I'm hoping uh, the end result will be worth it. Um, I'm definitely planning to have it done you know within the next couple of days. So. Um, I will send a, a post out on the forum and also via Slack uh, when that's done. Um, I don't know, Matt Kincaid, uh, if you guys wanted to kick things off on the topic of, of resilience and robustness, um, I know Kincaid, you've done a fair amount of work on the stream library of late uh, with sort of these ideas in mind. I know the presentation we got from the Spring guys um, around their implementation in Java, uh, raised this a few times and the original topic um, just to set the context uh, that I that I proposed for the last call was thinking about um, the implications of you know not only um, not only resilience across hops so you know we often try to solve for the issue of what happens if an interledger packet goes through a middle box so it's a sender to some middle entity to a receiver and then the fulfillment doesn't make it all the way back right so there we know that the implication there is that the the middle entity is out of pocket um and so we wanted to kind of give some thought to the bilateral protocols we use http um, btp and how could we try and um you know make that a little bit more robust 
But then uh, a separate conversation maybe that's worth having is robustness around the transport layer. So, um, you know, how recoverable are things like stream uh, senders and receivers that are, you know, uh, drop a connection. So if you lose a connection and it's re resumed, should a stream receiver or um, still be able to um, have a, a correct record of the total of packets sent? Uh, or received, and uh, if so, that implies some sort of persistence somewhere. Uh, if not, then you know, should we say that stream credentials are not reusable? Um, things like that. So, kind of open questions. Um, I don't have the answers. I don't know, uh, Matt or Kincaid, if you guys want to add anything to that or, or have anything you wanted to say uh, specifically to drive that, kick the conversation off. Um, yeah, well, I, Kincaid, you can go, go next thing as you were quiet. But yeah, I think the, the thing for me that I've seen a lot is, is that people using Interledger in production um, to a certain degree, especially wallets, care that packets, each packet is essentially a payment. Um, and I think that might have been different to the philosophy of how Interledger was sort of thought, thought initially, where like you, you could have packet loss on the network and that was fine. I, I don't know if that's um, sufficient anymore, um, seeing where things are going. And a part of it is that essentially, like we built no redundancy into actual like connection to connection, like, like Adrian was saying, the first issue. So I think the stream level stuff can be solved later, but the first issue is like on the stream layer, that's not even like, it's not even worthwhile, like in my opinion, it's not worthwhile looking at when you have network issues in between peers that are unrecoverable. Um, and that's even exacerbated worse currently with um, most implementations using um, ILP over HTTP, HTTP, which basically ends up having this long chain of stateful HP, HTTP connections that if any one of them break, basically the whole process is broken. Um, and I think we can do better. And yeah, I, like I'd be keen to hear, hear, hear more people's thoughts on this because I'm sure it's come up in a lot of other people's thoughts. I think Kincaid especially because he proposed the sort of async HTTP, which I think would resolve some of this. But the idea would be that any packet should be resendable and be idempotent. And that basically means that passing messages between peers is basically like a, like a message bus rather than some stateful like HTTP connection. Yeah, uh, so, so to kind of bucket this discussion, it seems like there are two kind of distinct cases here that Adrian um, posted or outlined in the original form post. One is like the case where intermediaries uh, drop a fulfill and instead uh, reject a packet. So then you have the sender and receiver potentially out of sync in uh, the amount that's been delivered. And then the other case is where either the stream sender or stream receiver uh, crashes uh, during uh, a payment, during a stream payment. Um, the first case I think can definitely uh, we should like we should definitely evaluate like how often packet loss occurs between nodes at kind of the bilateral layer and hopefully like if it's the case that that's happening happening with any frequency um, ideally 
you know, at, um, you know, kind of finalizing the idempotency uh, functionality would improve that. But with respect to kind of the stream sender and receiver, if it's the case that a packet is lost, um, like a fulfill is being returned and then one of the intermediaries crashes, so then a reject is returned, um, the stream sender will still uh, be able to uh, fast forward, essentially, um, uh, when future packets are fulfilled, uh, because the stream receiver will tell the sender, uh, this is the total amount I've received uh, on this stream. Um, so I don't think that's uh, too much of an issue. They should be able to resynchronize. I think the more like interesting, uh, the, the harder question um, that I know, uh, that I think David and uh, some of the Spring people have been working on, are like when the sender and receiver or receiver crashes during the course of a payment, like how should that be handled? And how should the, um, uh, how should the accounting, uh, this, the accounting at the stream layer be reconciled with um, the accounting at the uh, interledger layer? Um, like if you're receiving an incoming packet and you're, uh, uh, debiting that account and crediting, say, a user's account uh, when the stream server fulfills that packet, how do you ensure those two accounting operations are as atomic as possible? Okay, that's that's useful context. I mean, uh, I know, as you point out, the Spring guys have, have done some work on this. I don't know if any of you guys want to, you know, mention what you've done around robustness and resilience in your stream implementations or uh, if we want to sort of split this up and attack these topics separately um, what are your guys thoughts I mean how, how, how would you like to do this yeah I wanted to just chime in one thought um, what we are doing some work on um, resiliency I think there's an interplay between the open payments layer and the stream layer and so we should, we should definitely talk about that. And like in my mind, I think those are like solvable problems within some tolerance. The thing that sort of keeps me up at night though is the bilateral layer, especially in a payment path. So um, setting aside stream and whatnot, um, depending on the assumptions of the network, the sort of bilateral ILP v4 layer is, is super problematic in my mind because we either need to say we're gonna, like our network looks like a micropayments network and it's fine to lose a packet here and there. Um, or if we say, you know what, our, our network is like, it's bigger packet, like imagine a $5,000 packet at the ILP v4 layer. Uh, if there's a decently long payment path, like two, three connectors, let's say, or four, if any one of those loses that $5,000 packet, like um, it's really unclear to me. I think I, I have a list somewhere in a notebook that like kind of lists out like six options that we could take to like rectify that or address it, you know, and, and that continuum goes from do nothing and like let each peer figure out how to reconcile to at the other end of the continuum would be like an atomic validator that everyone in a payment path shares and trusts. But I don't think we have like an algorithmic, or at least I don't in my mind, there's no like one way to do ILPv4 that like satisfies 
the whole continuum of potential topologies. So that the topologies include some variance between small packets and big, big packets, and then length of the payment chain. Uh, and I, I'll add that um, I think in many cases, the packet size can be a, a red herring because um, if you're doing significant volume and you have some sort of failure that affects all in-flight packets, if they're small, that's fine. But if they're small, but there's you know millions of them in flight, um, that could still add up. So, you know, depends, I guess, depends on the, imp the impact is not as, simple, I guess, as, as um, when we just think about a single packet failing. Uh, if the thing that caused that is actually causing lots of packets to be lost at the same time by the same person, um, I think it can also have a, a big impact. But, but I, I agree with you, David, that it's worth looking at. Um, I, wonder, I wonder though, if maybe we've often jumped too quickly to solutions and not thought abstractly enough about the problem initially in terms of just saying, if I send you a prepare, so if I send you a, a you know, a, a packet and I'm waiting for a fulfill, like ignoring the communication channels, what are the signals maybe that need to be exchanged or something that gets us to a point where we are as confident as we can be um, that, you know, that that packet was delivered. And then I guess the challenge that we have is if I'm sending, if you're sending me back a fulfill and you're pretty confident you sent it before the expiry, the, on the one hand, there's potential clock differences that mean I get it, but I consider it to have expired. And there's no way for you to know that currently. Um, and the other is I just never get it. Um, and you potentially don't know that. Like we, I think we depend on the fact that, you know, TCP underlying the sending is enough for us to be certain that if it was sent that I received it. Um, but there's nothing in any of our bilateral protocols today that say like, if I received your fulfillment, I actually forwarded on because I considered it received in time. Um, so maybe, maybe it's worth us plotting this out more abstractly first. I, I don't know. In some ways, I think this reduces to a, a path-based consensus problem. So if you define the path as like the connectors participating in a packet flow, uh, there needs to be some way for like, let's say there are three connectors in a path. There needs to be some way for them to agree on the outcome of the prepare, fulfill, reject sort of state machine. Um, so like, you know, a simple way to get consensus would be a third party, some, you know, some fourth node that says, I'll tell you all how it should be. There's consensus algorithms. There's, you know, PBFT algorithms. Yeah. There's no algorithm, which is kind of what we do now, mm -hmm. which is just like, well, you know, if you missed a packet, go out of band, out of scope. Out of scope. Um, so uh, why, why do I as an inter intermediary care about the state of nodes more than one hop away from me? It, it may or may not like that. That's the thing. So in, a, in the case of a bisected packet, if we say, yeah, there's some node in the middle that loses money, 
then then that's a solution, right? That's like loosely what we've said is we don't need any kind of consensus across the path because any node in the middle or in the end or whatever can like kind of lose money according to the protocol. So I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. It's just <clears throat> when we push on that in the market, that only works for micropayments. Like, and, and, and to Adrian's point, like that's probably only working because people like we're not doing billions of dollars of micropayments, but like if a connector were to go down and you know, AT&T is like, yeah, I had a billion dollars in flight and I lost it. That, you know, like on the, it's more acute on the big packet. You know, you go to somebody and you say, hey, let's run connectors. And they start looking at the loss model and we don't have a good answer for, yes, you might lose money, but here's how you mitigate it. But, but I don't think like consensus between all nodes in the path um, is, is necessary to address that. Agree. Like I, I as a node would have my own mechanisms for packet. Like um, if I, as an intermediary implement my own mechanisms uh, to prevent packet loss, as long as like those are sufficient for me. I don't care if, you know, another node 10, 10 down loses money, right? I, I should only care about my direct counterparties and do I have sufficient, um, you know, consensus to stay in sync with a, 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 a sufficient mechanism to stay synchronized with them. Right, you could have like some kind of bilateral protocol that does a two-phase or three-phase commit um, on each leg of the interledger packet flow between two counterparties, and that would still, that would probably, I, I imagine that would resolve most of this problem. But you don't need consensus among all parties in the payment. So it gets really complicated, and I think this is why there are some problems with like the async solution, even. Uh, so for example, like imagine there are three parties in a path and the last two have a bisection, right? And so we'll call them A, B, and C. B and C, like B sees a reject, even though it was supposed to be a fulfill. And so B propagates back reject to A. So now, you know, A and B, you might say are, are good. It's a reject. But if async is in, in effect, all of a sudden B and C, you know, they reconcile somehow and they figure out, you know, it wasn't supposed to reject, it was supposed to fulfill, cool. Now A and B are out of sync. So there's like this thing that happened outside of what you should have cared about if you were node A, all of a sudden has a blast radius that's touching you now because you, you thought it was a reject, maybe you made a business decision around that and it changed on you because of the async thing going on upstream. So like we either need to say it's synchronous and there are hard timeouts around like time-based, which is what we do now. And you could do async within that time bound, but again, now you have these like cl clock skew, you have all these ambiguities where somebody in the path is gonna lose money. Um, and I, I think to Adrian's point, like stepping back, like the the big problem that I encounter with Interledger, setting aside all these like protocol minutia, is just like for anybody in the network, 
doing any kind of sizable or reasonable payment amounts, there needs to be a very solid story around how you don't lose money wherever you are in the path. And async doesn't so necessarily you, solve you know, it because, go ahead. I, I didn't entirely follow how A is affected by B and C in that case. Uh, just because if A gets a reject, but B and C decide upon async reconciliation that it's a fulfill, then the the you know the message between B and A needs to change to a fulfill from a reject. So so currently the way we talk about that is that wouldn't happen, and basically between B and C they have to figure out who um, who like who eats that loss but it's yeah. the, the current so the current uh let's just all get on the same page what the current model is the current model is um b by forwarding on a a, a packet b is taking on risk so b is accepting that um they are going to get paid by a and then they're making a promise to pay c and as soon as they get the fulfillment back um from c they now owe c that money and it's it's doesn't matter whether they can return that fulfillment fulfillment back to A or not. So they the risk assessment they make in deciding to send the packet to C is when I get the fulfillment from C, I'm going to be able to return it to A in time. And so they adjust their they should adjust the expiry that they put on the packet they sent to C. Um, that's basically the only lever they have um, to to uh, accommodate for that. The other lever they do have, I guess, which we don't really see anyone exploiting today is put some sort of uh, price to that risk and say, okay, let me add a fee that covers the risk um, in, a, in aggregate. So that's kind of the, the model today is if you're an intermediary, you have some sense of um, your ability to forward performance on successfully and um, back to a peer who sent you a prepare. And so when you get a prepare, when you get a packet from them, you apply time and amount changes that match that risk. And that's, that's basically the model. I mean, I get, I get that's the model. What we, what's missing is how do you, like, it's great to say like, hey, you have risk, right? But an implementer needs to be able to quantify the risk. Well, this and is where I, I think the bilateral the bilateral protocols we use, I think, can make that easier. I think that's where the problem lies. Is like if I have a bilateral protocol that allows me to send fulfillments and be certain that they were received and accepted, um, that helps me already. Um, yeah. Or or do you know? Uh, I don't know. I I I think we need to give some thought to. Um, if we assume that that model is okay. So I think you, you, what you propose, David, is should we consider a different model, which is you know, path-based consensus? If we, if we just say, let's assume we stick to our existing model, but we think about, is it good enough to make that more robust? How would we do that? Maybe is an easier way to start. Um, I think the path-based consensus thing, I mean, that's basically going back to atomic mode ILP, which was in the original white paper. And, I think you know the consensus at the time that we stopped really pursuing it was that it was impractical um, in a in a kind of open network. But but yeah. you know, 
I, I don't think I'm, uh, we shouldn't write it off. Um, but at least when I proposed this topic, the thing I was more thinking about was the existing model, but making it more robust. How, how do we fix the way A, B, and C interact to allow them to quantify that risk maybe, or at least reduce that risk as much as possible? Yeah. Yeah, I guess to be clear, I'm I would not let I, I I'm not proposing <laughs> that we try and move to an atomic mode or some path-based consensus. I think I'm just pointing out that there's maybe it's not a consensus problem in the in the sort of ILPv4 model. Um, I guess saying it a different way, I'd love if the ILPv4 model had like a a really quantifiable way to be like here in in simple terms it'd be like here's why you're not going to lose money running a connector and maybe that's not possible right to your point adrian maybe it has to be yeah it's probably a math problem now that i think about it like there's probably yeah, maybe, I, and yeah. i'm not a smart maths person but I, I suspect if you looked at the variables at play here and you look at like um you put some sort of number to uh, your likelihood of being able to deliver the fulfillment. And you, um, you, you like the variables at play are like total um, value of packets in flight, um, you know, time latency between nodes, um, uh, average sort of like some sort of reliability number. So like how, how what percentage of packets are actually lost or not delivered things like that like i think if you like put that all together you could probably come up with some sort of formula that people could use to say well if i peer with this person and i'm tracking these metrics i can come up with a number that basically says um i should charge this fee to cover like my risk and my risk of if at any point in time if i suddenly like had a massive failure and couldn't deliver any fulfillments. This is like the amount I could lose. And the chances of that happening is, you know, X. And so by applying this fee over time, you know, I cover for that kind of thing. It's, it's like an actuarial problem in some respects. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, I think this you, is a fallout of expertise, right? If, if you had a, like an eventually consistent model, you wouldn't need you would you would trade off the, all those risks and all that complexity for like, hey, we're never going to lose money, but it may take a while. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, like, I mean, you could extend expiries to to reduce that. I guess the 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 thing is that you'll always be at risk for whatever's in flight. Like, because if you if basically uh, like a whole data center goes down, but your your peer doesn't then you're always at risk of that money. So like it's always quantifiable as Adrian says that your, your maximum risk is whatever you've got in flight um, to pure loss. But the, the, the trick at the moment is that would be your maximum risk at the moment, considering you had a total failure. My concern at the moment is like, I think we can get to solving that, but I think as an intermediary, there's a bigger risk at the moment. And that's that, we've got some unreliability in the network that I think is unnecessary and can be solved. And that's just because we're relying on, we, we basically assume that network conditions are hundred percent. And I don't think that's the case. And I think that solving that first and then going to it, um, going further down the line, we can solve some of these issues. And I think part of my discussion here, I wanted to do, like, I think some of this for just requires tooling to start running networks and 
applying actual issues and seeing what the actual outcomes are. We might not, like we can sort of theoretically envision what like the worst case is and that's a node going down. Um, and basically whatever's in flight, you basically lose because you, you basically guaranteed that. Um, and it depends on how long. So like there could be cases where we could say, well, we know that if, if you have a whole data center go down, then maybe we can start looking at like saying, well, maybe we can come up with a way that you can put this across multiple av availability zones, but it will cost you more to run, but then you don't have that risk anymore. So they, there's ways to sort of like counteract that. Um, so Matt, I, I, do see I, can see how, I can see how async would help there uh, on the one hand. However, can you, can you, David, can you clarify what you mean by async? Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Oh, uh, essential. Yeah, sorry. I guess I'm, I'm referring to Kincaid's PR, um, async ILP over HTTP, which is basically so, so I think like, let's, let's uh, just say act, act, like let's say an act message that you could keep retrying. Um, yeah. because that could take form in any way. Um, so yeah, it, it basically like, a, a, a way that you can like an act, delivery of either the prepare or the fulfill or reject to your counterpart. Sure. Sure. I guess the, the thing I'm observing is, is two things like, um, the, the current ILP over HTTP has this like apparent risk of somewhere in the path, uh, connection drops and, you know, you, you get this error that you can't really retry. It's just like, somebody loses money. But what's interesting is like in reality, like I haven't seen any of those errors, at least between Spring and Rafiki, which is actually a three connector flow, just because we have two connectors in the mix. And I'm, I'm wondering like, the other thing to push on is like, most of the interledger payments, especially like mainnet, seem to be two connector flows at the moment. So I point this all out because we, we could introduce this async protocol and now we have item potency maybe, or I don't know, Matt, if you had like a, a different idea in mind um, to kind of solve this, but be all this overhead and like work for like, is this actually happening is like a question we should be asking too. Like right now, I don't think, even though there's like the potential for dropped connections, um, the, the, the peering link between like Spring and Rafiki has been really pretty solid. I don't know that it's really ever down much. So, so, so David, the things there that I, I want to point out is basically that the reliable, the current reliability of the ILP over HTTP is basically like an, like an, uh, an, like to the power of n problem because it's it's like basically the, the availability of each network hop becomes a compounded problem. So I don't think it's a problem in the sense that we haven't seen it, but we haven't been doing like continuous packet flow and um, stuff like that. So like, whilst I'll agree with you, there are some nuances there. So the other thing is that I think we hosted in relatively similar regions. Um, what happens now if we've got a region in Europe and a region in, in the West coast of the US um, that's going over much more network hops. Um, also, like my thinking is that like this is a problem that we can solve and it would take away, like in my opinion, I can't quantify the exact percentage, but it would take away a considerable amount of the risk that we currently have with the current solution. Um, and that's, that's like, I almost see like, that, that, that's what I'm just trying to say is like, we can solve it and we know that that 
is an issue. So basically my thinking is if you get any, if you get any packet, packet loss over that, those links, and, and those, do, those events do happen, basically we have no way to recover from that currently. But we can, but we're saying we don't, yeah. I like, I, I'm just concerned that it becomes an issue when it, like, when it becomes an issue, when an event happens, people are gonna be like, that's so dumb. Why were they doing that all the time? Um, and we'll be like, well, we just didn't see it as an issue. Um, like some of this comes down to like we partners are, are, are like I said seeing each packet as a payment and they care about it that there's no like we don't care about it and uh, I just think we can do better there and I don't think it's much work that's the that's the 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 the, the beauty of it like I think it's an easy win um, and I do think there are bigger problems to solve like solve down the line like you saying to but I think it we can do this in an iterative approach. Do we, um, yeah, I agree. Do we have a do you have a concrete um, kind of problem statement and proposed solution? I mean, we, we've uh, talked about a bunch of different things here. Um, what, like, even if just in the abstract, either you, Matt, so, or so, Kincaid. So, yeah. So, I, I think the first thing I'd really like to do is for us to set up a test harness where we can simulate this, uh, like, artificial packet loss and see how much of a problem it creates. I think like there could be an interesting thing where just by nature of this, there might actually not be that much loss um, like on a monetary value. So for me, the first thing would be to set up a test harness where we basically set up very basic connections and then introduce packet loss across those connections and see what happens. Like how who, who's losing what? And then that's very quantifiable because um, then we can see maybe that the loss is like, like not even 0.01%, even if in the worst conditions, just by nature of some weird like combination of the way we do things, then it might not, then we might not need to solve that. Um, and then secondly, like what it does do is if the loss is big, it gives us a baseline from which we can make improvements on and see that they're improved. Yeah. And David, can you clarify so that? Are, we, post, are we talking about in the chat that I think agrees with that? Sorry, go ahead, David. Oh man, I just, I guess I'm, are, are you talking specifically about like the async ILP over HTTP proposal? Like a test uh, harness so, that so, would so, so, exercise that? Uh, no, no, no. So I'm saying a test harness that would simulate network, poor network conditions. So imagine you had just like you, you ran two interledger nodes and you basically had a, a, a network connection over that. We could use we could use tools that, like Linux has tools to simulate packet loss over that connection. So we basically set up a test harness where we say, okay, here's a peering relationship. We send a constant stream of packets and we introduce 10% packet loss. What is what are people out of money in what scenario? So we can do that for a configuration of two or three connectors, and you basically can start getting a feel for what the based on network issues. What, the, what each individual is potentially losing. Like, and that's in sort of like a real world scenario. And that gives us a benchmark to say like, well, there might not be that much of an issue or there might be an issue. And if there's a big issue, we can go then start coming up with solutions and implementing them and seeing do they have a, a, a like, is that benchmark getting better? Uh, but I think, Matt, I think we would be able to model this uh, mathematically anyway. I, I don't know which one will be more work to be honest. Um, well, you like, so when you say mathematically model it, like, I don't think you're going to get down to like randomized error and seeing what's actually happening on the application level. And also that 
the like the mathematical part still doesn't tell you like if you implement something like is like you might have bugs in your code and stuff you won't know until you actually show that the yeah, yeah. So, so I, and, and i, I want to point out as well like you know packet loss on the network uh, if we're talking about IP packet loss, I think is is less of a problem than you know um, the 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 thing that causes someone to lose money. So in David's scenario, A, B, and C, the thing that causes B to lose money is B is is not that B received a fulfillment, but that C um, sent a fulfillment and A never received a fulfillment. So it could happen anywhere that something went wrong. And I think that probably the most likely scenario is B received the fulfillment, um, but either had considered it to have timed out or a bug in the code on B, some a bug or a, um, some issue on B system results in them receiving um, the fulfillment and not passing it on. That's like that to me is the most likely scenario. Or they send the fulfillment and think it's been sent, but the but they um, but it hasn't. So it was never actually received by. Um, I, like I, I I'm not sure exactly like what simulating all of that will do beyond us. That that we couldn't just like you know work out on paper. Um, or, yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, like I, I, like I'm I still think, sure. yeah, I, like the way I see it is like we know the failure. Like I, I, I'm not sure what doing it on paper is gonna do for the failure modes. Like I'm sort of trying to get like we we saying that these won't be the case, but do we know that for sure? Um, and like when you when you simulating that stuff, like for me, it's just having a bench like a benchmark and saying like this is the benchmark we've done it, we can go and move on to the next step of trying to improve but, that. But I, I think problem the problem, problem? But, but then the benchmark is very much is testing the code. Like the benchmark is saying how resilient is this specific code? And, and I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's what we're trying to solve here. Maybe I'm, maybe we need to go back to like what that's sort of what I'm trying to ask is what is the problem statement? Like I, it, it, are we saying that, the way that these packets are exchanged between systems is not robust enough. And, and, you know, they can have different views of whether the packet was sent or received, or are we saying there's a high likelihood that a system like in B's case can receive a packet, the C and B agree that the packet was delivered, but then B has an issue delivering it back to A. Is that the most, you know, is that the most pressing risk? Um, or, or is it that, you know, B sent the packet to A and thought it was delivered, but it wasn't. So those are all different things that could result in B being out of pocket. But I don't know, you know, like, I, I think we have to test, we have to know what each one of the, would cause each one of those and then uh, evaluate the effects of those, those in isolation. Um, and then think about like, what are the things you can do to prevent that? And I don't know if it's purely, um, you know, better bilateral protocols or, um, you know, 
better, uh, you know, longer expiry times, whatever. Like, like, like you, the point you made earlier about the expiry times, if everyone made their expiry times longer, you give everyone more chance to recover from failures. But that depends on you having bilateral protocols that allow you to do retries, for example, if something fails. It also though, increases the potential number of in-flight transactions you have because you've sent something on with a long expiry. It means at any time before that expiry, you could get the fulfillment. And so you're like at risk until then. So there's like, there's a bunch of balancing acts that you have to perform as a connector. Um, I think it's complicated and we, we haven't done a great job of like writing those down anywhere and um, yeah, making it yeah, easy to I, understand the risks and trade-offs. Yeah, I hear, Matt, I hear you saying like, we're not sure maybe even what the error conditions would be, uh, but I actually think we mostly know what those would be, which I think is where Adrian's going. Like we can, and maybe we should just do this like in a Google spreadsheet or something so we can all agree on like what they could be. But like in my mind, there's like five or six uh, error conditions that are like the things I worry about. I think, yeah, if we had a test harness and we found like a seventh condition that like that would be useful to know. Um, but I think we already sort of know in our heads, like what those errors probably might be. One other thing coming yeah, to mind like is like in the Java connector, I have a, I have a, it's, I call it a left, right test. Like it's a simulated link um, tester, right? So essentially it's doing sort of what you said, right? You can configure it to have certain amounts of packet loss, latency, et cetera. And then it just validates that like, the link code in Java sort of works appropriately under various error conditions. Um, as a testing tool, like that's useful, but like the, like, as you can imagine, I can like, if I set the packet loss to 90% or whatever, or I set up various conditions where like one side gets a fulfill and the other side gets reject or whatever, like I can, I can force the money losing scenarios. And so like, testing that in a real world scenario doesn't add any value because I'm like, I know the inputs ahead of time. I can just sort of simulate them. It, so, it might help I, us like, to prioritize like scenarios are most likely the, um, and identify like which, which, which are occurring, like which we should fix based on which, which are happening in the, in the real world. Um, the one, one thing I would add is that um, there are ways for operators to mitigate risk kind of regardless of which of the, these scenarios happens. Um, so one like simple thing you could do, well, somewhat simple thing is if you imagine similar to kind of like the real time settlement model where each peer is tracking their obligations, there's some, you know, max balance and, you know, I, after say my peer hits the balance I assign to them, I'm not gonna forward any additional packets unless they settle with me. You could imagine a similar model in which the downstream peer has to uh, acknowledge every fulfill and say, yes, I agree to owe you money for this fulfill. Um, and you could imagine me tracking the balance based on that. And if there's a discrepancy between how many fulfills I've, the, the amount of fulfills I've returned back to them and the amount of 
aux I've received saying like, hey, I, I, I got the fulfill, I agree to owe you this much money, um, then maybe I stop forwarding packets from them. And that would provide a mechanism for an operator to you know, limit their potential losses to some amount pretty easily um, on the incoming side. Um, so, so, so there, there are other, like, they're solving the underlying issues, and then there's also, like, uh, risk, other uh, risk mitigation mechanisms that we could explore. It's occurring to me it'd be good to, like, write these down, write down, like, what we think are the risks. I mean, I know there's the connector risk uh, RFC, but the, I think it'd be useful to, like, write down these, like, potential loss scenarios with maybe some ideas like what you just said, Kincaid. Because I, I know I have a bunch in my head, but I'm not sure that it's uh, an exhaustive list. Um, and it, I think it occurs to me like we're not sure what we're trying to solve. There's like a bunch of different levels of problem space here. Yeah, I think that's the thing that I'm trying to like, I, I, think, I think all of us have different ideas of what the problem are, problems are, and they are all problems. Um, I guess it's just a prioritization thing and understanding them. Um, so I think like maybe as a start, we start a Google, a, a Google doc or something. Um, anybody's welcome to join and we just start putting the failure scenarios that we all have in mind and start trying to like, maybe we just have make a list and just start trying to like, like sort of work out as a commonality that some solutions will work with it. But I think we should just sort of get some way to get a priority of them and just start fixing them. I'd like that. They've been open issues now for a long time. Um, and some of the, like some people still know about them. Like, I mean, you've even got the case in the current ILP connector where it doesn't track two balances. So you do run risks for certain cases and stuff like that. We can just start fixing and making sure we document and we can explain to people, like you said, like if you run a connector, here's how you know what your maximum risk is. And this is where it is to mitigate it. Yeah. Oh, the current ILP connector doesn't even persist the balance. So there are, there are a lot more issues. Um, we, we're down to five minutes left, and, and I think between the four of us, we've really dominated the conversation so far. So I, I wanted to invite anyone who um, has any thoughts or would like to be involved in further debate here. Um, David put his hand up, David Benoit. David, did you want to, maybe that was up for a while. I apologize who it was. Do you want to add anything? Yeah, sure. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, I, mean, I left a note in the chat window, but I think it's really important um, since this is a protocol that's going to run over the open internet, it is vulnerable to lots of things that lots of private networks are not. Uh, and any of these failure scenarios where uh, risk is involved in terms of incurring a debt or uh, a loss on a certain entity, that becomes an attack vector for somebody um, whoever it might be. So I think it's really important to go through a threat modeling of the protocols, detailing where things fail, how they fail, and who's on the hook for each part and trying to mitigate each. Because assuming ILP takes off and is extremely popular as we all want it to be, it is going to become a target. And those kinds of things will need to be addressed. And it's not the kind of thing that you necessarily want to be on the news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think maybe the the way to start is is as Matt suggested. Let's let's put a doc together. Matt, do you want to create that doc and maybe put the first example in there so there's a kind of a, a standardized yeah, format sure. for capturing capturing a like a risk. And then, or well, I don't know if others have thoughts about how a good way to capture it. Feel free and just maybe share the share the link on today's forum thread, uh, the thread for today's call. Um, and we can we can all follow it there. Maybe also on Slack would be useful. Um, is Google Docs okay for people? It's definitely the easiest thing to collaborate on. Um, but I know some people can't access it. Anyone have issues with Google Docs? No, just just one more thing I wanted to mention um, that uh, the kind of model testing that you were talking about, Adrian, is probably the best way to model the uh, the attack vectors or so the failure modes. Uh, but the simulation that you can do through uh, some of the testing tools that were mentioned earlier. Those are also very valuable to do validation of an implementation. So it, it's one thing to validate it mathematically, and that's important um, to understand the theoretical implementation or the, the model, but the implementation of it is independent of that. Mm -hmm. Yep, uh, I, I would agree. Uh, okay, I just threw a, last, a, a doc yeah, in, ahead, uh, yeah, in Slack. I threw a link to a doc. Um, feel free to request access. Not much there at the moment, but it's basically just like trying to catalog at least certain error conditions. We could add more sheets here to like make this more of a threat model exercise the way David just explained if, if anyone wants to. Or if there's a different doc and someone wants to make a different format, go ahead. I've, I've put the link into uh, into Zoom as well. Um, all right. Well, that's. I mean, that's what we have time for today. Um, thanks very much, everyone. Um, what are we now? Thirteenth of May, which means our next call in two weeks' time will put us at the twenty seventh of May. Um, we'll actually be in the midst of a W three C codeathon or hackathon, which is um, kind of a distributed hackathon working on some of the new payment API. So uh, certainly me and the coil team will be involved there. Hope uh, some of you, uh, if you're interested in getting involved, um, feel free to let me know. Um, basically playing around with the payment APIs, seeing if we can um, demonstrate some cool uses of those APIs over a couple of days uh, during that time. Um, but we'll definitely break to host this call. Uh, so 27th of May, same time, same place. Thanks again, everyone. And uh, I'll try and get the recording to Sabina as soon as possible to put up on SoundCloud. Uh, so if you know anyone who missed the call, the recording will be there fairly soon. Thanks all, chat to you again soon. Thanks. Oh, and Adrian, um, more than happy to uh, help with that, uh, that modeling. Great, awesome, thanks, David. The 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 links there. Otherwise, um, I see David Fueling put it in the Slack, um, the Interledger Slack under protocols. Excellent, thanks. Cool, ciao.